What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Fishing Hour. I'm Vinny. I got Mark with me today. What's going on, baby? How are we? We're chilling. We're chilling. Uh, it's just been another hectic week for me. Work has been crazy. What else is new, honestly? Yeah, nah, I feel you. It's same thing. Just feels like you're going through the motion these days, and the weather's been trash in New York the last couple weeks. Dude, it seems it's... like it's raining nonstop. We had a little bit of snow, but most of it's rain. It's like, at least give me snow. Yeah. <laughs> no, for real. And for those of you who aren't local or, you know, not in the tri-state, the weather has just been atrocious. It's cold. We get snow, but not even the good snow, you know what I'm saying? Not the type of snow that you're like... Wow, this is sick. Like, you get flashbacks as a kid. Now, it's like that two inches, it's dirty, like, the streets are disgusting. Yeah, and uh, you're miserable. You're like, miserable. It looks good for, like, an hour, right. and then it's just, like, mud. Not enough to make you nasty. stay home from work. Uh, yeah. Just a, a shit show. Like, you know, <laughs> a shit show, yeah, it's, it's honest, uh, it, it's perfect for New York, because the whole state right now is upside down. With weather, <laughs> and this, and that, so everything's just lining up perfect, but... Anyways, guys, we got a special guest today. Uh, we're going to change things up. We're changing gears. We got Chris with us. He's been shout out pretty much every episode so far. We talked about him, so we got to put a name to the face. Well, you know, this is audio recorded, so audio, I guess... Audio to the face. Audio to the face, voice to the face. <laughs> so now that we got him here with us, Chris, tell us about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, I've been fishing for decent part of my life mainly, <laughs> you all, say that. mainly all salt water though not really any freshwater fishing um really primarily in the back bays of freeport that's that's the stomping grounds so that's where you started your days yeah like four feet of water that's yeah. all you need chris yeah. is the guy who uh you know those guys you see um on the inflatables like 50 <laughs> miles offshore like something out of Castaway, yeah, that that's how Chris started. I have been offshore in my inflatable, actually. <laughs> you see, and I'm not lying. Yeah, like I thought I was bad growing up. Like I was, I was the lunatic on like a half sinking John boat that would just float out to the middle of the lake. And then I met Chris, and it was like, damn, I've met my match. That's for damn sure. I'll but, do uh, anything to catch a fish. Absolutely. There you go. And that's a diehard mentality so, that we love. So Chris, you started fishing when you were a kid. Um, and you're saying in the back bays, but it, it started from the shore or, at, you know, at a young age, were you trying to get out with friends on boats? Did you have any connections to a boat or did it just all start from an inflatable and then you started building your way from there? So my family always had boats, not my direct family, but my uncles, my aunts, they all had boats. They would never let me fish though. We <laughs> just, we just went out on the boat yeah. and then, uh, in high school, one of my brother's friends, well, he owned a boat, so he was like, you want to come fishing? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I never really tried from shore because, I mean, I didn't have anybody to go with. Nobody in my family fishes, and none of my friends fished, so yeah, it was hard to get around. He had a boat, and my dad was just like, all right, I'll just drop him off there for the day and go do whatever. And he took me around Freeport, basically, and... We fished all the back bays there, out into the ocean, but we fished a lot for fluke, so for the first couple of months, you don't really have to go out into the ocean, right, right. and if you do go out into the ocean, I mean, we did go far, but primarily you're looking at the, the shore while you're still fishing for them. Right. So, all skinny water stuff, and through high school, we fluke fished a lot, um, not really bass much, 
Or Bob and Fisherman, so fluke, that's blackfish. Old, that's old, right? Do we yeah. have the wham wham wham? Yeah, right. We should, I gotta edit that in. Not, not too much of the bass, which we got into later, though. We definitely did get into that later, but primarily just like eight feet of water, back there you base, go. Dude, looking that's all you for need those sometimes. holes and stuff. Nothing that you needed any crazy kind of boat to really. Right. get into you could do it from an inflatable so right, once right. I got that opportunity and I couldn't go with him every day and I wanted to go I bought an inflatable there boat you go. Yeah. and then the addiction was started and turned into multiple boats Chris has two boats uh, yeah, actually three now yeah three the with the inflatable <laughs> guys got kayak <laughs> but it's still a lot yeah <laughs> uh, you'll see Chris out there in a cardboard box anything to get him outside off the sh- off the surf so Let's fast forward now, years down the line. My buddy Andrew, uh, he's one of my friends from the fire department. I don't know if I've mentioned, but part of a volunteer fire department, me and some of my close friends. And, I, you know, I'm going shark fishing one day. I hit the group chat. And I tell my buddies, like, yo, I'm going fishing. So now Andrew had just recently joined the fire department at the time. And he puts in the chat, yeah, I'm down. I've been fishing before. It's been a while. I'm down to, you know, pick it back up. So I'm like, all right, cool. So... We go out, we're fishing, you know, we're shark fishing off Jones, we're just shooting the shit, hanging out, and then he tells me, he's like, yeah, one of my buddies uh, at Mass Maritime, uh, I'm sorry, Maritime, SUNY Maritime, is uh, big into fishing, this and that, yada yada, all this shit, uh, so I was like, yeah, you gotta bring him one day, whatever. Little do you know, it's Chris, uh, and that's how we met, and then yeah, the rest is in the history books. If you fast forward to now, Andrew's busy being an EMT. I don't even think he fishes anymore. <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, it's just crazy how things work out. And, uh, yeah, that's how I met Chris. I, I met Mark a little after I met Chris. And, you know, when you have such a passion for fishing, you, you got to introduce fishing go- fishy guys to other fishy guys. And yep. next thing you know, a little trio was formed and... We built uh, Stripe Togs, this little bullshit group chat that we have, where we talk about meaningless shit. Uh, most of the time, it's just stupid debates. Uh, Striper versus Tog, which was last week's topic. That's uh, how it was born, honestly. Right, and Chris, as he mentioned, not a big bottom fish guy. Um, not a big bass angler, more of a bottom fisher. Mark, all the way around. So you can see how they butt heads. Uh, I'm always the there for a good medium. laugh. Yeah. yeah, I'm the happy medium who watches them argue and then gets tight on a fish. <laughs> and then they're like, fuck, we got to keep fishing. That's just how it goes down. how it goes every single time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but nonetheless, it's always good times, good vibes. So, yeah, we're, we're so happy to have him on board. Yeah. And given that we have such an experienced boater with us, he's been boating for such a long time. We want to take a step back from talking so much about surf fishing and, you know, angling for bass off the surf and plug bags and all all these, all these surf terms. We're going to kind of put them in the back seat. They're not going away, but for this episode, they are. Um, And we're going to dive into angling off a boating vessel, whether that be a kayak, a boat, uh, an inflatable boat, a regular boat, um, you know, a charter, whatever the case is. Something that takes you off the surf, and I'm not talking about just waiting out, right. you know? And, um, and I'd say, like, for us, right, it's, it's about accessibility. Not everyone has access to a boat, but there, there are options, right? So some of the things that we're going to talk about, this is stuff that, you know, maybe not positioning and talking about how you're maintaining a boat while you're on a certain spot, but 
these are just different like angling tactics. Even if you're going out on a say party boat or you're going out with a charter captain, how you approach a bite and how you approach setting a hook or where you want to be positioned on a boat and what position your your hook is in or where you're dropping your bait due to the current or whatever, that's all stuff that translates. So for people that think that, hey, maybe I'm a surf guy and this is what I do primarily, there's always things you could learn that you'll take with you. And one day you will be in a scenario, whether it's on your buddy's boat, like Chris grew up doing, or you have your own boat, there's some, some key tips and key pointers that are different than when you're approaching a fish from a boat versus when you're on the shore. Yeah. Um, now, Vin, you talked about how you and Chris met. Chris and I obviously met through you guys. Uh, and, you know, I, I appreciate it. We all have some good laughs. We go out. We have a good time every time we go out. Yeah, always good vibes. But it's just, it's funny. Like, you, you look at the people that you fish with, right? And, Vin, I don't even know if we've talked about it, but we met on a pier. Right. And just standing next to each other, black fishing when the season opened. Right. Just started talking. You hit me up like a year later, and then that was all she wrote. Yeah, you posted that uh, baby sand tiger yeah. that you caught on a on a kettle creek, I believe. If yeah, I remember, a blurple, blurple kettle creek. Blurple kettle creek. I was... When I saw that, I was like, all right, that's interesting. So <laughs> I hit him up, and I was like, how'd that happen? Uh, you know, I'm over here throwing fucking six-inch bunker chunks, and this guy's catching them on soft yeah. plastics. I knew it was bycatch, yeah, you know, he's going for bass, whatever the case is, but it was, but it was really a, interesting honestly, to see. to yeah. this day, one of the craziest things that happened, right. catching a shark on a soft play, yeah, and then unheard of. And, uh, one you know, thing led to another, and here we are. We, so uh, we, we hit it from the surf, and then I'm grateful you introduced me to Chris, and Chris has blessed us with his sea craft <laughs> and all the excursions we've had and on the that. Queen, don't but, forget the queen. Yeah, and I was getting there, so we talked about the inflatable Chris, and... <laughs> Then from the inflatable, I guess you got the itch. It was like, this is good, but it's not quite cutting what I want to do. So you went out and found the Queen Mary. Yeah, so the inflatable was great. The first inflatable that I had is actually different than the one I currently have. The first one was a full inflatable, so it didn't have a hull in it. It, it had a hull that blows up, right, but it doesn't really sit underneath the water line. So if you start to go fast in it, it kind of is very hard to control, yeah. and if you have waves, it, it doesn't handle well because there's nothing actually in the water. So I think my parents kind of realized, all right, like, he's getting serious, he goes out a decent amount, like, look for a boat, something that's probably a little bit more safe. Want to just be safe, because <laughs> he'll figure it out. My yeah. parents <laughs> didn't want anything to do with the boat, so, like, they just sent me out there. They didn't, like... My dad didn't really come with me. Watching so. you from the shoreline or not even? Not really. Like, when I first got a boat, he <laughs> yeah. came... Like, the first inflatable, he might have come with me twice. Yeah. And that was about it. And then, you have to realize at points, like, my first inflatable, the tube ripped off of the transom. Jeez. And I glued it back together and still used it for, like, another two years. Because <laughs> wow. I, I was a kid that didn't have money to actually buy a yeah. boat. And then I was with the kid who introduced me to all the fishing in Freeport, Chris, as well. And he was like, why don't you go on Facebook and like, look for a real boat? Yeah. So in like a matter of a day, I swear to God, we went on Facebook and looked for a boat. We found like, a great deal on a 1964 Boston Whaler Nosset. So it's 16 feet. It doesn't really have high gunnels, but it has a hull that sits, you know. Yeah. Probably at, when you're not moving about six inches in the water, maybe eight inches. So you have something that's at least a little bit more stable. It had a 75 horsepower 
mercury on it and seventy five. That was that was it. Yeah, my dad. <laughs> when we got that thing and we put it in the water, the first day I drove around with my friend. I remember we're in the five mile an hour zone. He's like, "Give it some gas," and that was it. I just cooked it right out of the launch, and we were doing like thirty probably. And my dad was screaming at me like, "We're in a five mile an hour zone," and he knew right then and there like, "Oh God." This is it. <laughs> so yeah, I got the Queen Mary, and it was originally actually a side console boat. So it had two rows of wooden seating, and the steering wheel and the throttle were on the right side of the boat. So you really couldn't fish out of it too well. You only had the bow. You right. couldn't stand on the side. And in the stern, I had the gas tank and like a storage tub basically was there even like a an internal tank or was it no, just no internal tank oh, in that so it's, boat. Always... it's a top deck tank yeah. yeah so even now it still has a, a tank above the deck which it is annoying because it takes out some space but as i had a problem in the seacraft <laughs> yeah. you don't have any issues with something being underneath your right, deck right, right. you have it's, a problem it's easily and, accessible yeah there's like three things it could be the tank the line the fuel filter and that's really that's about it. it. And so, if it's all connected. Yeah, it's all connected. You can literally see if the gas is coming out somewhere, so right. it yeah. makes it easier. But I got that thing, and I started to fish the back bays, and then I transformed it into a center console. And when I made it a center console, it just became like more of a fishing boat. Yeah. I could take my couple friends out. We'd have three guys. One could stand in the bow, one in the middle, one in the stern, and you could fish it. And we found some good holes in Freeport. <laughs> Absolutely. And and you were at that point, like, I, would you say you spent, like, the first couple months with the boat just banging around? Because now you're moving a little faster. You're not uninflatable. Okay. You're just inside. And then what was it like, like, the first time you were like, it's a decent day. Why don't we turn the corner? Uh, I mean, I fished inside, actually, a long time before I ever went out into the ocean. Because the first motor that I had was reliable but not too reliable. It was, a 19, <laughs> it was a 1980 75 horsepower Mercury. So, I mean, this thing probably had like 10,000 hours on it. And mind you, if Chris is saying not that reliable, it means this thing was held together by duct tape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the motor mounts on the thing weren't even like attached to the brackets of the motor with like bounce kind of on the transom. It was, it was a, a rig and... The lower unit at one point really started to get bad, and I could tell it was getting bad because yeah. you could hear it actually when you pulled out of the water. This thing was grinding. I'm like, yeah. this this needs to go. Yeah. So I looked into like a new lower unit and whatever. My friend was like, dude, just put a new motor on the thing. I'm yeah. like looking around, and now keep in mind I got the boat pretty cheap, and I don't even want to say because it's like so crazy what I paid for it back then <laughs> versus now what people would pay for these things, but. The motor was the same price that I paid for the boat. So I, I got a 90 horsepower Mercury. This is a new motor, a 2008 or something like that. I forget. 2005. Four stroke, two stroke. Two stroke. Two All two stroke. I love two strokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sound like a lawnmower. But uh, that motor, when I got that one, it was turnkey. No problems. Didn't have to worry about anything. You put the key in that thing and it started. It's also oil injected. So. You didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. It, it's not that you don't have to worry about it. It's just it, it kind of helps with things. It, it runs better. Um, 
there's a lot of different things with that motor that you can't really compare it to like the 80s yeah Yeah. i mean it's built with technology that's 30 years ahead of it exactly and everything's also just newer so it doesn't have the abuse that that thing had so you would turn the key you you didn't even have to prime it that much that old motor like the 80s motor you had to like basically see the gas coming out of the motor (laughs) in the water for it to start (laughs) and like this new one like you pump the primer ball maybe twice and you turn the key and it just starts right up every single time yeah and now i had the 90 on a 16 foot whaler that is very lightweight so and for those of you that don't understand that comparison it's like putting a v8 in a smart car yeah these things fly like his boat Fly. Especially its profile. It's so sleek yeah, it's and slender low and, and sleek. Yeah. cut in There's, water and right. flying. There's been times where we've been on the Queen Mary and I look at Chris and I'm like, yo, I think we're pushing it. Because like, I'm reading <laughs> the depth find. I'm reading on his depth finder. I'm like, yeah, you know, we're in three feet of water. Now we're in two. I'm starting to see the bottom. Now we're in a foot, and there's a fucking horseshoe crab moving. <laughs> and I'm literally seeing the baby fluke just take off in front of me. And he's like, nah, we're good. We're clear. We're, we're clear. in the zone. <laughs> and, yeah, and we're fucking, and we're doing it. And we were fine the whole time. But it's just like, nah, it's a great bow for the back bay. It's an absolute killer. Uh, the way he drives it, too. It's smooth. Uh, yeah. That thing flies. It's, there's no other way to put it besides, like I said, it's like a smart car with a V8 or like a jet on the <laughs> Fucking turbos on the back of it that poof, it just takes off. You can't go slow in that boat. No, it it's impossible to it go slow. It doesn't want to go no, slow. It's, it's built for it's, speed. It's got to be going like <laughs> 20 miles an hour at a minimum right. for it to yeah. really be running right. If you're running like 13 miles an hour, you got the bow up in the air. It's not, right. it's not right. Yeah, and I mean, not to, not to toot his horn too much, but Chris definitely knows what he's doing when it comes to driving a boat. But I would say there's definitely been some days on the water that weren't exactly the easiest that you know they say don't uh, smooth seas don't make a skilled sailor right no. so chris any any like memories when you were riding the whaler at first that you were like damn that I is sketchy <laughs> business yeah for sure there there was this one day the first time i went out it was it was a zero <laughs> a real zero like all day so we went to McAllister reef i actually didn't have a big enough gas tank at the time at a six and a half gallon gas tank Perfect. so i borrowed two five gallons from chris and we filled them up and we we're pouring gas into a tank that's connected to the motor um because we went to McAllister and that two stroke was so bad with gas i mean you used, you used like 20 gallons, something crazy <laughs> in like that little boat to get to McAllister, which is like wild to think about. So we went out and that day was good and we, we got good fluke. And then the next day it was with the same kid, my friend Jack, and uh, we went back out and it was nice in the morning and then out of nowhere it turned and it it happens like that, but it turned not to anything crazy. It was a one that really turned to a two. But that boat, it can handle too, but it's not enjoyable, right? So we're running back, and now I have the 90, and it doesn't really want to go too slow. <laughs> so I'm doing at least 17 miles an hour, and the boat is just bang, bang, <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Yeah, not even in the water. We're Two, just three skip- seconds between. We're just skipping on top of the water basically the whole yeah. time. And I like came to the realization, and I was like, all right, this thing is from 1964. You know, we got <laughs> 90 on it, and we're cooking. We got a decent amount of weight in this thing. Like, I really just got to start to, like, play it careful. Yeah, yeah. And we got back in fine, honestly. And I realized after, you know, 
it's built in 1964 and it was really a tra- like a trailer boat it didn't sit in the water for a majority of its life yeah. so i don't think that the hull is waterlogged okay and that makes a big difference yeah, absolutely yeah. so i mean but it just goes to show too like a whaler from 64 for it to maintain that condition as long as someone takes care of it yeah, yeah. those boats are freaking bulletproof the and whalers don't built, sink they're they just don't built sink. differently back then the right. glass on that thing is so thick that impenetrable yeah it's just it's different it's like yeah. my sea craft is an older boat as well and the glass on that boat is like it's thicker than some of the new boats that are going for crazy money right and they just built things. They a built bit things better, better back, back then. then. So yeah. A lot of things were built in America. Now, done still, right. Yeah. It, was, it was cheaper and it was better. Right. Why, why can't we get that? Exactly. <laughs> and like now, still, I look at this thing, and it, it doesn't have stress cracks. Really, it right. doesn't have all these things. I wonder, like, wow, yeah. they made boats like this still now. Like, right. how much would they cost? Right. <laughs> to put <laughs> to put things into perspective, for those of you who, even if you. If you haven't been out on the water on a boat and you've just been fishing, you know, at a pier or whatever, any area near like a bridge or this or that, and you see like that dude in his Grundens, the orange ones, because you know everybody's got the orange ones, the commercial on a little boat anchored up somewhere, and they're just fishing. That's it. No music playing. Like just street business. That's kind of like the persona that Chris's whaler gives off when you look at it. It is a war machine for fishing. I'm pretty in the sure base. you just described what he wears every time. No, but, that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, when yeah, you, it is you, the persona because that's exactly that's what he exactly looks like. what he looks like. That's the, the the style that he gives off. But I'm saying yeah. even the boat it's real too. Fishy. You're yeah. not gonna see somebody with that boat coming down in a you know in, in a Nike crew neck. No. And joggers on nah. and throwing on some, you know, that's not whatever. like a, that's not that's like a not, leisure family boat. No, if you're no. buying that, you you're, get that you're boat in the fucking to ball fish. Game. That's it. I mean, yeah. maybe you do other stupid shit with it, but you're not using it right then. That's it. And and Chris, so like at the time you had the whaler, obviously fishing was a priority, but like is that when you got into like clamming a little bit because you realized you had this boat that could kind of get into any type of water and you're like, why not? Yeah, I mean, the the main thing with the whaler is right, you can fish. I'm a huge fluke fisherman, so you like those holes. You like that four foot that drops off to 12 foot, right? And with that boat, you can go into two feet and set your drift so that when the boat hits that drop, you're moving the right speed, going the right direction, and it really helps to catch a lot of those fish because those bigger guys who are fishing in the bay with those big boats, they can't get into those little nooks nooks, the crannies, the outflows, all that stuff. They can't get in there. And I'm just scooting right over in there. And it's crazy because a lot of the times the biggest fluke that I've actually ever caught were in the bay in like Real six, feet, like six feet of water. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's why I love the whaler and I still have it to this day because clamming was great. I did commercial clamming for a little while and you could take that boat and you can just basically ride it at the beach, put the motor up, and just let it go right up onto right. the beach. And even if you don't have the tide... It doesn't weigh that much, so just push push, you could just right push it out, and that's it. And it makes things a lot easier because there is no like hard grounding really in that boat. You run aground, and you can as long as you've got like a foot of water realistically, and you pull the motor up, and you get out of the boat, so it doesn't have that much weight in it. You could push it through no problem. Yeah. yeah. So that that's basically the main reason I think my friend also kind of guided me towards a boat like that because he he knew. Right. run this thing into the ground and get out and just right. push it right off and not Especially have to... Unless you hit a legitimate boulder. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. you're fine. Yeah, you know, and you I run think, it up on sand. When we say run it into the ground, we're not talking legit run it up, you know, onto some concrete ramp. We're saying, you know, got it into the into the surf or in, into, you know, not the ocean surf, but into those little, uh, you know, bay islands or whatever you want to call it and park up. It's it's so smooth you can do that. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people like neglect know, get away with stuff like that. looking at a boat like that, right? Right. It's like people are like, oh, if it's 16 feet, like I can't. Well, what am I going to do with that? Right, I can't manage any type of surf. Like I have to go out on the flattest day, even if I'm in the bay. But that's that's actually not the case. And I right. think Chris is like the perfect example. Now, the word push your limits or the saying, I should say, push your limits. That's a different story because Chris probably put that boat through certain scenarios that we wouldn't suggest other people. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, but, most of the time they happen by chance. Right. Not because, not because he's, he's taking a gamble. Listen, there's been plenty of days that but, me and oh, you were itching yeah. to go and Chris is like, guys, not a I good idea. I don't think idea. it's a good idea. Me and, and Mark, Mark are like, come nah, on, bro. We could do it. There's birds working. Like, right. we see them already. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I mean, so for people that are even considering and – want to get just on the water but they, they're not ready to jump into a 20 23 footer which is you know still considered a relatively smaller boat um getting like a 16 there's plenty of capability for something like that on the yeah. south shore and the north shore of Long Island, and, and anywhere else for that matter yeah, you, you go on the sound anything like that and up into connecticut you go up into mass i'm sure there's all different types of access points a boat like that is super useful right and now you know, we want to dive into fish talk and all that, but while we're on the topic of boats, to finish and top everything off, to put the cherry on top, tell us about the Seacraft, because that's the last, or the biggest vessel that he currently owns. It is for sale, so if you guys are interested, hit us up, <laughs> and uh, we'll put you in contact, but let's hear about it. Yeah, I love that boat. That boat is my definition of a beast. Uh, he says he's going to sell it, but... Look soft, what happened with the weather. Soft quotes the weather on the sale. Soft quotes on the sale. If the price is right, exactly. you know what I'm saying? Price is right. But, uh, yeah, that boat, it's a 20-foot Seacraft. It's a 1973. It's got a 150 Evinrude E-Tech on it. Um, so it's, it's technically a two-stroke motor. So it's lighter than a four-stroke. And it has more output in a way, kind of... Uh, Two, yeah, two strokes are primarily known as racing motors, and mm. that's why I like two strokes because they, they get to it and they go. They pick up right. and they go, and and that that boat you can, go from like zero to thirty, quickly. <laughs> very quickly. Right. I, don't, I don't know timing because I have never timed it, but you get if up. You get the right tide and yeah, the right wind. You get up and that boat because it's heavy. Like we're saying, these older boats are heavier. They're whether they're waterlogged or not, right? They, the what they're made out of is just heavier material. There's more of it, so the bow in that boat will drop down a lot nicer. And I come up to like twelve miles an hour, and the boat itself—it doesn't have trim tabs. The boat itself just kind of naturally rightens out, and I don't move the throttle. The boat goes from twelve, fifteen miles an hour, and it hits the right plane, and it takes off. Right. And it, it, it's a deep, deep V. Yeah. That yeah. boat is a deep V for the size that it is. The angle that it's cut at, it, it cuts through the waves like a much bigger boat. So we've been out there in some <laughs> days where it's been pretty rough. Now and, those stories have <laughs> Yeah, the, and, the last time we went out, Jesus. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's always got me back safe, though, and that's Thank the God. one thing. Thank that's God. why I wanted a Seacraft from the beginning. My friend Chris, again, he had a Seacraft at one point. He had the same boat, and we went out there, and we got stuck in something. We came back, and the boat was the same as mine. It was a beast. Yeah. So uh, the first thing I thought of 
you know, you think of contender, regulator, yeah. stuff like this, but they come with a huge price tag. A new Seacraft is also price tag. Yeah, expensive, he's, he's. but I found this one, and as soon as I got it, I fell in love with it, because it was just straight out into the ocean. I, did, I didn't fish the bay. I got it in August, so... The fluke fishery is kind of over. It's pushing out to the Yeah, you don't really yet. have, like, bass like that yet. yet. Yeah. And you don't have blackfish, so I had no option but to go out into the ocean. This is actually when I started lobstering, too, because I was, like, so bored in a way that I'm, like, I'm out here in the ocean every single day. Uh-huh. Might as well just drop these lobster pots and catch lobsters as well. But that's a whole different story. But the sea craft is... is the right boat at 20 feet it also doesn't have forward seating so it has a step up which i wish it didn't but there's no forward seating so you can fish two guys debatably in the back you can fish someone in the middle and you can fish someone in the stern so you can fish four guys out in the ocean and be pretty stable to the point where you don't have to worry too much right and it's still fuel efficient with that amount of people and it's still fast, so yeah. that boat you can boogies. move from one side of the island. I mean, we go out Jones and back in Debs like in a flash. Like, yeah, yeah. You're sometimes I realize I'm like, oh god, we're already all yeah. the way down here yeah. in the tank. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, the last time we went out, we you know we're talking. We left our no- you know the normal slip in Freeport. We made our way all the way out to what Fire Island Inlet, and we we're like I don't know eight miles offshore, seven miles off vertically journey from slip to the furthest we went out was probably about 50 miles so that in of itself is just a, you know it shows the fuel efficiency that the boat has the how smooth it is how good of a, a boat it is to get out there now going in i will say or going out i should say was way smoother but you know weather it's the winter sometimes things don't line up and you know weather took a turn on the way out, it was a little rough, but I mean, we on the way out, what would you say? We're looking at what threes, three and a half, maybe, on the on, very end. On the way coming back home. On the way coming back home. My, my fault. That's yeah, the way we out. had we had the we, we were lucky actually. We had the wind working and, with us and the yeah. tide at our back, so yeah. it was helping us. I mean, when you get to the inlet, things obviously change, right. but for the most part, we weren't fighting the waves. We had them coming with us, so. That helped us, but yeah, we definitely had, at a minimum, three-footers, yeah. constant three-footers, to some rollers that were probably six-footers, Yeah, and I mean, they were a little sketchy, because you actually felt the whole boat, like, kind of come out of the air and drop back yeah, you down, felt that because you were so high, you know? and yeah. especially when you're, like, on the peak of a wave, and right. then you just hit that They were legit riding the, the waves. I mean... F- from an outside perspective, it looked cool. Like, if you... You know what I'm saying? Like, if you were like, yo, this is sick, but being there in the moment, you're like, yo, not this cool. shit is not, not cool. Not this is scary not shit. Not cool. <laughs> now, guys, you like, know. full disclosure, too. Like, I just want to say one thing. You you guys ran far that day. I actually wasn't fishing with you guys when you went out. But, like, this doesn't mean you could just go out and buy any 20-foot boat no. from ni- the 1970s and expect it to work, like, and, and take you that distance and back home safely. No. Chris has done a full overhaul on his boat from his fuel tank to the fuel lines, took the whole thing apart, made sure that it was completely ready to go, and that's when he's taking trips like that. So, yeah. 
you know, you also have to pay attention. Do you have soft spots on your gunnels? Are you going to be able to handle this kind of water if if it happens, you know? Yeah. And you got to be properly equipped. We're talking about somebody, you know, like Chris, who's very precautious, and many other captains out there, but, you know, he's got an inflatable life raft on the boat at all times right. whenever we leave the inlet, you know? And not only him, there's a bunch of guys that do that. Obviously, life jackets, that's mandatory. All these other little things that go into play, you know, these are things to keep in mind. Like, me and Mark, we're not boaters. We don't own a boat yet, emphasize on yet. But we understand and we appreciate the safety and the precaution that goes into it because not any Joe Schmo can go out there with a big paycheck, buy a boat, and you find yourself 50, 60, 70 miles offshore and you're in Schitt's Creek because you don't know how to get back in. Exactly. As opposed to the experienced guy with the smaller vessel who finds his way in because he understands the way of the water. So it's it's like all things with time builds experience. With experience, you build wisdom and you understand how to go about it. And there's guys who've been doing it 20, 30 years more than Chris, and they could fucking navigate with their eyes closed at this point. Yeah. But it's, so it, it just to goes say. to show that time on the water really yeah. pays its dividends, you know. Yeah, there's something to say about um, the people that start on, like, the small, smaller vessel. You know, yeah. there's people that wait their whole life to get a 30-footer and they buy a boat because their wife or their friends want one and they have some extra spendable right. income. The, the weekend warriors. The, the weekend guys warriors. Right. And, and those guys, this is a game of egos, but those guys will just believe that they fully know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, their boat is compensating for their mistakes because they have so much size. Right. Somebody like Chris that starts on a half-floating inflatable, like, going through that shit right. is, is where you, you gain that wisdom that, and the right. respect for Your the Your window of opportunity is very narrow in the yeah. sense of you're in the green versus you're in the danger zone, as right. opposed to somebody who has a big boat where that window is, there's a yellow gap where you're like, all right, I could turn shit around, I'm still okay. In certain scenarios with a smaller vessel, there is no green, uh, there's no yellow. It's, you you're sense. good, you're fucked. That's it. And uh, so. it's, it's from, from my own experience, Chris and Evan and a lot of the, the guys I've been, had the op, opportunity to go on their boat um, and fish with, it, I've learned a lot. Like, I was right. such a Googan and so stupid in so many ways, thinking that, like, you know, you're invincible. Everyone thinks they're good to go. Yeah, it floats. Especially, I'm good. <laughs> especially when it's warm out, right? Yeah. It's the summertime. What the fuck could go yeah, wrong? Yeah, I'll swim. <laughs> and you don't realize until you're out there. I mean, there's sketchy days. I could tell stories, even Chris and I going out, leaving the inlet, and looked like a decent day. As soon as you break the inlet and there's oh. there's five-footers coming in and you have to turn around to make your way back in, I looked at Chris and I was like, I will never take my safety for granted again, yeah. you know? So just be smart. Go out there. Make sure you're with somebody that knows what they're doing and don't be a hero, yeah. you know? Yeah. I also have, like, my father enough safety gear yeah. for a boat going 100 miles offshore, right? right. I have everything. He's got the, I forgot the satellite phone. Yeah, I have, even when I started with the whaler, I always had everything that I needed and more because you can't mess with the ocean. Um, it, it really is sad to say, but there have been people who go out the same inlet as us who have probably the same, if not more, experience who've lost their lives. So right. it's it's always cool to say, yeah, I went out there and the boat was amazing and handled those six-footers, but it's also you got to take into consideration you got to come home and... That ocean is no joke. Right. Something can happen in a split second, and 
If there's nobody around to see you, it doesn't even matter if you have a buddy boat two miles away. Two miles can be two miles too far. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta no Uber always play there. it right. Yeah. So your, car, your car breaks down, you call an Uber. You call the cops, you call whoever. Your boat breaks down, you're stranded out there. I mean, who are you gonna call? No. Yeah. Especially Sometimes if you can't call. Out. Right. So you, you know, your phone could even be dead. You don't. It's it's something that you don't want to even experience that predicament at all. So, given that we, you know, talked about boating, now let's talk with what comes with boating. Why Chris is boating? Why Chris is out there? It's for the fishing. I mean, come on, it's the fishing hour. We know we're going to talk about fishing. So we're going to start to transition our way into that, um, talking about the type of fishing that Chris likes to do on the boat. Um, You know, not only Chris, but a bunch of guys with boats, they fish differently in the sense that you're not on the surf. You know, you have a different angle. You have more different factors that go into it. You got current. You got the way your boat drifts, the weight of your boat, other boats around you, all different aspects. Um, So, yeah, let's just dive into it with fluke fishing. If you're... You know, in the whaler, uh, it's a summer day. What are conditions that you look for for fluke fishing in those back bay scenarios? In the whaler, you don't want a lot of wind because it's a light boat and it'll drift too fast. In the back bay, I don't want to say you can be going too slow. In a way, you almost can't really, but you don't want to be stopped still. You want to be drifting. As long as you're drifting, you're doing, you're doing good. Uh, drifting like a mile an hour in that range is really like primarily the best area. I like kind of like 0.8 mm-hmm. and I like to fish a bucktail, which is totally different than most rigs. But when you're moving slow like that, you can really make the lure do a lot and kind of sit there for a second and fluke are pretty lazy fish that are just laying down there on the bottom. Right. So they're just waiting for something to kind of come move right in front of their face with a little flutter that looks looks great to eat. Right. They don't so, have to move a whole lot. It's right there in their yeah, strike zone. They're lazy, so they don't want to go anywhere. They're A lot of the times when you catch them, they're sitting still on the bottom, and your lure, we joke, your sinker hits them on the head. Yeah. yeah. Quite literally, sometimes it you will drop hit down you drop and down you actually hit, hit these things, Agreed. and they come and eat your lure right away, and, and it's just as simple as that. So... You want like, you know, maybe like a five, five, eight mile an hour wind somewhere in there. You want to be moving around, like we said, a mile an hour. And you're you're really, fluke fishing, you need a, a sonar, a transducer. You need something that's going to tell you how deep you are. Because you're looking for the holes. The fluke, they sit in the holes. So you, you go from, a lot of the times you go from four, eight, 12 feet, drop to 16 feet, and then it'll come back up to 12 feet. So where that drop off is in there is really that's your target area you want to be moving slow through there and you want your lure to be on the bottom if you're not on the bottom you're not going to catch them and being as experienced as you are in food fishing you know i'm not here to say that i want you to give away your secrets or anything like that but one question that comes to mind and not only for you i want to pose this to mark too is when you're food fishing obviously gulp is you know the number number one thing nine times out of ten, right? Yeah. What color does it for you? Because I feel like my answer is different from you guys' answer. I don't even know if it makes a difference, but as a personal preference, what the color? The color is it? I think sometimes can make a little bit of a difference, but I don't. I don't base my fishing off of a color in a right. way. Yeah, I think you go through the whole box. You get yeah. <laughs> I I get a lot of gulp. I I always use gulp. 
every time that I'm poop fishing, I use gulp. That's just how no, I, I, not lying. That's no how switch I fish. Even if I am fishing with a tip bait, usually it's spearing, uh, I still have a gulp, gulp on. I'm always fishing a gulp. And they're plastic, and they, if you put them on the hook right, they... They do pretty well as long as they don't bite the tail off. Yeah. And you Which can happens. you can go days without spending a lot of money on bait. Mm. Yeah. That's the key with the gulp is that I worked at a fishing store so I got it a little cheaper and I flew fished every single day. So when I started to come down to buying a pack of bait every day is seven dollars for a little pack of spearing or whatever. It costs a lot of money. You buy like yeah. two packs of gulp, which is like ten bucks, and you could last the same amount of time. Yeah. That's so there's a week's worth of spear. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. The other thing is with gulp, like a lot of people think you buy some gulp, and eventually it goes bad, dries out, and it's not good anymore. But I think what people don't realize is it actually requires maintenance. You know, there's there's these leak-proof containers. There's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of different brands that make them now, but Chris, I always notice when we go out and I started doing it myself, you're you're diligent about taking your gulp off at the end of your session, making sure it doesn't get hard on the hook, putting it right back into that grease, yeah. and by the time you come out the next day, it absorbs whatever it's in, and you're good to go again. Yeah, that gulp juice is a good refresher. Yeah, and a, and a tip actually with the gulp is when you get it, you take it in the package before you even open it, still sealed. You put it underneath so you put it up on your dashboard, right? And you let the sun come through and hit the gulp. You don't want to leave it there for too long. You leave it there for, you know, like a day maybe. And they'll harden up a little bit. You put them in, I have like, I don't even know what kind of jar it is. I got it on Amazon. Yeah. It's just, it's got a seal on it so that you don't lose the juice because the juice is Yeah, it has like key. that O-ring seal. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And in there, I just pour all the juice in there with the gulp. And like you said, I use them. And as soon as I'm done, I take them off. I don't even let them sit on the hooks while we're riding back. No, no. We're out in the ocean. We're fishing. We're done. I take them off. I put them away. I seal that container, and that's it. I leave it, and when I come back, there's always enough juice so that all of them are at least somewhat They're submerged. soaking it back up. Yeah. yeah. They'll you're soak not... that scent, but they also won't dry out in yeah. that juice. Well, and the thing is, too, you're not... Like, for people listening... You're not buying just, like, the gulp pack off the wall. Like, you have to get a foundation of that juice to put into this container. Right. So they, you buy they, enough packs. Yeah, I mean, you buy enough packs, that's <laughs> one thing. But if you really want to just, like, start your base, they have those bigger containers yeah. of gulp, that, those those big packs. That You just take that, dump it in, throw all the gulp in there, and if you want to add extra colors, they could all, yeah. they're all in the same chemical. So they're, it's not like you're ever going to have an issue. Right. You're not going to see them bleed. Um, they're, they're, they're pretty Yeah, gulp versatile. is not flavored. A lot of people, and when me and Mark worked in the bait shop for a little bit, a lot of people would come in and ask, you know, what's the difference in the color? Is it different flavor, different scent, whatever it is? It's not. Gulp is gulp. That's it. it if it looks like a shrimp, it doesn't smell like a shrimp. It smells like gulp. If it yeah. looks like a swimming mullet, it smells like gulp. It doesn't smell like mullet. Right. Um, so that's a big misconception, I feel like. And I've gotten way better, too. Like, Chris is a little more anal about it like as soon even if we're moving spot to spot i notice chris takes it off and he'll reset up yeah, they dry again. quick though they dry in quick. the summer they especially dry when we're out there and it's 90 right. degrees and got the salty ocean air right. but uh 
Yeah, I I try to do it at least when I'm done fishing, and I, I've gotten a lot better at it myself with just maintaining that. Because even if it's whacked, like even if you have some some hooks or, or a hook gash or a bite in it, yeah. as long as your tail isn't bit off and the thing still has motion, you might look at it, and I used to be bad at it. I used to take them and just go, oh, this one's not great, just toss it. A fluke will hit anything that yeah. has any sort of life in it, any motion in it. So if it's a little whacked, but you could still keep it on a hook, throw it right back in that bucket. Yeah. I know this is a random, I guess, snapple fact you can say, but it might be a myth, but at least in my personal experience, I've noticed that gulps that are multicolor in the sense that the tail is different, different color than the body, the white body with the colored tail. A, I like them better. That's just me. I like the orange and white a lot. The the, uh, the pink white, white, pink and white, or the the white and sharp. But for some reason, that fucking tail comes off. More. Yeah. Oh, is, it, it, is that not true? It, it seems because it it's like it's almost like a two part. I think the mold. Mold. Yeah. It's not full. Yeah. Because that, that tail true. comes off clean every time. Every you time. can see a line almost in it. Right? Yeah. And it stinks because they do separate from the bodies cleanly not even like right. ripped off you can see it just right. separated if the, if the top gets bit off by like a puffer or a fucking little stubborn sea bass you can kind of still work the tail and still get that that motion right. when it comes off clean like that you're yeah, done it's over it's done. Yeah. It's it. those ones are, are the newer ones the older yeah. ones like the regular solid white chartreuse orange yeah, yeah those those ones I, I really a lot of the time right like if it's just white and chartreuse on the wall, that's fine for me. I grab those ones. The yeah. color in the back bay, I don't I don't know. The water is pretty murky here. It's right. pretty dark. I just think they're seeing more of a silhouette or a shadow a lot of the times than an actual color. Right. But when you get out into the ocean, then things, I think, change a little bit. Because out in the ocean, one of my favorites is the half white and half pink. Not... The tail straight the down top, the middle, the top yes. the exactly. Straight yes. down the middle, left pink, right white. I like that color scheme a lot. And not the swimming mullet, the full uh, the, grub yeah, tail. Like the tube ones, yeah. like the five inch, six inch. You also a tip with those is you can cut down the head section, right? So sometimes I have like a five inch with this like one inch of the actual <laughs> golfer, like the it rest did. of the tail yeah, but, but it like, works. It works. It, like that you can use a smaller hook so you don't always have to have a huge hook right and make sure you're trimming it down i mean chris knows there's one fish our last fluke day of the year i just got lazy quite frankly and i left too big of a gulp on i was using a smaller hook because we were fishing inside to start the day and i got whacked absolutely whacked rod doubled over reel up twice and he was off i just didn't stick him because i was using too small of a hook or you know i could have sized up my hook whatever it was either cut the gulp or use a bigger hook mm -hmm. i didn't do either i look at chris and he just shakes his head yes and aka that means that was a good one <laughs> <laughs> yeah that happens and that's that sucks. how you learn that's how <laughs> but you, you learn. do learn from and, and fluke fishing i mean is frustrating right it's you you kind of dial in over time. If you're fishing reefs, you kind of know what parts of the reefs you like to fish on. Um, but one drift, you could pass them and you get two, three bites. Then you go over the exact same spot and nothing. Right. So, Chris, talk to us a little bit about like your approach when you're out in the ocean. 
are you trying to target the exact same spot or are you trying to stay in a general area based on kind of what you know what's going on down there, different structure, and just kind of letting the boat move with the current? Yeah, every, every day is different, but for my first drift out on the reef, let's say we're going to McAllister, I've got a spot that I know. This is the first spot that I'm going to go to and I'm going to drift it, and it usually lines up with the way the water is moving, right? So I have two spots really kind of on the left, one on the left side of the reef and one on the right side of the reef, and I'll go to whichever way the boat is going to move across the whole reef in a way. Right. McAllister's not that big. It can be pretty crowded sometimes, and that can make things difficult, but a lot of the times we get out there at 6 a.m., and there's no one else out there, so we drift that whole reef, and then I kind of see where we had the most bites, and then how many pieces I have in that area of the reef, and then I start to short drift those pieces. So uh, by a short drift, I mean we'll do a drift, right? And it'll be a pretty long drift, and wherever we hit the most amount of fish, we're gonna go right back to that 50-foot section, and we're gonna keep drifting just that piece. Right. And it's crazy because you will drift in, you'll get nothing, and then out of nowhere, boom, boom, you'll just start hitting the fish. And once you hit them, I don't care if there's another boat there with you, get back in that spot and yeah. short drift that spot because that's where the fish are. They're right. going to be in that area. And a lot of the times it's right next to a piece. You have a piece and then some sand off of it and maybe another piece on the other side. And these aren't holes. These are pieces actually coming up off the bottom because at the reefs they go out there and they dump stuff so you've got trucks you've got rock what? piles you've got all these yeah. different things there there's still holes but you also have these structures now that are attracting all these bait fish and whatever so you short drift all those areas and that's where you're gonna find a lot of the bigger fluke and sometimes the crazy thing is they're actually sitting on top of those pieces, yeah. not on the floor. Wow. So you're dropping down to the bottom. You and think you're in the yeah. strike zone, but they're actually above you. So it's it's they're crazy. There's a lot of videos I know a couple divers around who have showed me these ten pound fluke up on top of these structures. King of the castle. King of the castle. The <laughs> and they when you get out into the ocean, you get to those bigger fish. They're smarter. They. They, they know. know what to do and they know how to evade being hooked basically right. and the smaller ones it, it can be get annoying because you call them dinks and you get they're very aggressive they'll just go after anything those so machine guns so, yeah exactly so you'll get like the rabbit. 50 yeah. of those little fluke but in a way you can't leave fish to go somewhere else if you don't know anything is going to be there right you got to give it some time and you got to keep fishing and after an hour if you're not pulling up any keepers all right then an hour is a really long time honestly right and yeah. then i, I i'm you'd less, be gone 25 30 minutes, minutes before yeah, yeah. Yeah. 20 minutes really if there's nothing good in 20 minutes i'm going to maybe hit it from a different angle or i'm going to move to a piece that's in the same general area but just not necessarily that one so, yeah, you talk about, like, a different angle, and, and that's a good point. Let's, just to back up, like, that's, that's a big thing, guys. Like, a lot of people, like I was saying, when you start your drift, say you're hitting them, and then you're not hitting them, really dial in where you were hitting them. It's, it's, it's not just you moved 100 yards, and on this, this run around, you got a couple bites, and on the next run around, you got none, so now the spot's not good. It's like, no, where were those two bites? Where were you getting those? 
and set up for a short drift, reposition, and just now make your area a little bit smaller right. and get smaller and smaller until you dial them in. So that's a great point, Chris. But the the other thing is you spoke about angle. Now, are you basing that just based on current and wind, or do you also position it based on the structure that's underneath you? And being on McAllister or some of these places that you've been fishing for years, you know that there's a certain cut that if you just hit it, even if there is a certain current, there's a chance you might get a bite. Yeah, so a lot of times, right, the, the water's going to push you one way, and it's kind of hard to change where you're going. So I use the boat to my advantage. I also use a drift sock sometimes, depending on how we're moving. But I'll put the boat over this piece, right? I actually have, like, a, a image of this piece on the bottom in my mind, right? So I can imagine it looks like this. And I know we fished, let's say, the front part of it, and obviously we can't change the water to now drift the other way. But what we can do is we can go over the piece, right? And I'll put the boat in reverse and I'll back us up like three or four feet. So instead of hitting like that same line and drifting the same way, because when you put the, the motor in reverse, for some reason it changes the way you drift a little bit. Right. You don't come on that exact same angle, right? You don't travel on that exact same line over the piece. You might be three feet over diagonally crossing it and then kind of coming back into it in that three feet of separation there could be a fluke on the other side of the rock right. that just couldn't see your bait on that side and now you came three feet over and you passed him and out of nowhere you get a seven pound fluke right he's almost like protected by that structure water's running on both sides of him and now you could back up and you're over yeah exactly so the, the the changing your drift is important and it's good to know once you start mapping out a piece right I tell people who are beginners all the time, use the breadcrumbs on the, the new GPSs. They leave a yeah, little like dotted a line of where you're drifting. Yeah. So just use your line, and you can really zoom into them and, and now make it kind of accurate with the new machines that you can move over like 10 feet right. and then drift that same straight line in the same way you're 10 feet over. You always got to keep in mind where the structure is, right? You don't want to necessarily be right on top of the structure you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna a lose lot a lot of rigs like that. learn that the hard way yeah, yeah. Um, we've all had yeah, we've all had those days i mean and I, sometimes it's inevitable i yeah. mean there's been days it's i went part out part of the game yeah listen we're going i'm we're gonna lose plenty of rigs next yeah. season no I, it's already that. anticipated you know I'm, there's days like i like me you him or anybody who fluke fishes out on the reefs you go out you may catch a keeper two, three. You may get your limit, but you lose like what eight rigs sometimes, yeah. a couple bucktails. You know, you, you run up a little bit of a price tag, but it's the, it's the cost fishing. of the ocean. The ocean's got to pay. You got to pay your dues to the ocean, and that's the cost of it. And changing your drift also. Right. Sometimes I hate to say it, but the guy in the bow might get hung up, and the guy in the stern gets that big fish because true. the way that you drifted over it now, instead of everybody being in the clear, you kind of clip the front of the piece so that the back of the boat just hangs right over it. Exactly, fish a different side of it. Right so I always tell of everybody ahead of time, I'm like, hey, we're getting in some sticky area. Just keep in mind that you got to keep your stuff moving, right? If you constantly keep your sinker moving or your bucktail moving, you're much less likely to get hung up on the bottom. Right. As opposed to if you're sitting there and just leaving your sinker Thinking. on the bottom, you it's just dragging, and as soon as it falls in a crevice and it can't come back out, that's it. You're stuck. It's over. Yeah. It it can be hard to 
get it back out after. Yeah, and especially if you're fishing in the ocean. You're sometimes using, not even possible. <laughs> you're using eight-ounce sinkers or something on a rough day. Those things aren't cheap. No, <laughs> no. definitely stings a little bit. Yeah, and we had our share of, of losses with that one. But being that we're approaching the hour, and this is the fishing hour, and we kind of want to plug things up, um, we loved having you on the episode. Uh, it was great. There's many things that we want to talk more about. We didn't even touch tuna fishing, which is going to be... The next time you come on the show, we're going to dive headfirst into that. But we talked about boating. We talked about fluke fishing. Now, to leave things on, I guess, a futuristic note, what's next for you in line of boats? Like, what's the next boat that you have in mind when the time comes? You didn't get rid of the whaler. You you want to get rid of the sea craft, but you're not necessarily sure if you're going to. Are you going to sell one? Are you going to buy a third? What's what's the plan? Uh, We'll see. Um... To buy the third boat, I, I would need the money most likely from the other ones, so yeah. we'll see where I am at that point in time, but uh, the next boat really would be in the 25-foot class, and it would most likely be a 25-foot Seacraft or a Contender, because those are two of the most readily available boats around that are you can find a couple to look at, right? When you're, when you're spending money like that on a boat, you, you want to weigh your options yeah, you and look look see what you're getting into. Before you start to just make a decision. Exactly, right. yeah. And the 25, the 25 T Contenders, I really like that boat. It's got a nice price tag on it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like 50000 probably around you there. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is all. Like very, yeah, you, yeah very, we're talking on the perspective of used. used. Yeah. Yes, very, very used. Right. Um, but, yeah, that boat, it... It could take you offshore to get to the tuna, um, which I can't do in the sea craft right now because the yellowfin bite, which is, I don't want to say the easiest tuna to catch, but they school up in such large numbers sometimes out at, at these pieces that you have a much higher chance than chasing the bluefin. Yeah. And you can get out there, and that's the key is getting out there and also, as we said before, getting back home. Right, right. And you also want to be able to do it with a little bit of speed, right? Because now you're talking about going right. Your distance just leveled up. Right? Yeah, you're talking about you're running hundreds of miles in a day. Sometimes you're going out to a piece that's in a 25 foot boat. Right, if you have the right weather and you know you have the right weather, you have a buddy boat, you have everything right. You could be out 50 miles and 50. I'm talking like 50 miles straight, straight out off yeah. the shore, yeah. not into right, the not. Start to finish. So. Yeah, and and when you're out there, you, you need to have a boat that can that can handle that stuff because stuff changed on us, and we were looking at the shore to the point where in the sea crab last time we yeah. went out, we were looking at the shore. Right, if something God forbid really that bad ever were to happen, you drive the boat into the beach. Yeah, you, you beeline into the shore, and, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> you you're not looking at the shore. You're not looking at anything. You don't see any land. You're just looking at blue water, and you want to have the right boat. So, yeah, a 25-footer is right. I would love to have bigger, but I don't have the kind of money. But so you would say that that's the minimum, though, 25-plus? 25, 25 yeah, is small, yeah. in my friend's opinion. So yeah. You know, tuna fishing, but it's like I'm saying, on the right days, you're doing the right thing, you'll be all right. We also now are lucky that we've been blessed with a inshore bluefin fishery. Right, yeah. so, which... That we're definitely gonna touch on that uh, yeah. next next time we have you on the show, yeah, we're gonna dive headfirst into that because I've been wanting to open that can of worms since the minute we started talking, <laughs> but 
it's just so such such a heavy topic that yeah, we figure we start with the base. We want to start light. We want to start yeah. right. Um, so before we close everything out and we peace out for the week, I always like to pose a top question or a favorite question, and not necessarily put you on the spot, but kind of just pick your brain for what it is. Um, right, you know, when you're on the hot seat. So I'm gonna pose it to you first, Chris, being that you're our guest. Then to Mark, and then I'll close up with mine, and you know we'll we'll wrap up this episode. Um, we talked a lot about fluke fishing today, you know, and we also talked a lot about boats, right? Economically, it's easier to afford a fluke setup, even if it's an expensive one. So, what's your top fluke setup? Let's just because there's so many options to hone in and eliminate or filter some of those selections. You're in the bay. Number one fluke setup, money is not a problem. There's somebody hands you a gift card with, you know, a fucking Jeez. open end. They say, Chris, you can buy a setup. You got to use it to catch your PB Bay fluke. What are you going for? Off the top of your head, obviously answer can change. Honestly, I, I fluke fishing, I, I'm comfortable with a lot of stuff that I've been using. And it's not even crazy expensive. Yeah, it's not the nice end. And right. you don't need to have crazy gear to catch good fluke. Um... But uh, there's a couple of custom rods from a couple different guys who build nice loop rods around the area. Some in New Jersey, some in New York. They make these acid-wrapped rods, right? So the end guide is facing down, right? They're conventional rods, and the line wraps around the whole blank. Um, I like the way those rods feel, and also the way the line wraps around with the guys. I, I think the bend a little bit differently also depending on what they're made of a lot of these custom rods you know you're looking at like close to 400 500 for a fluke rod mm -hmm. and the real i mean they there's so many that you can can choose from but a high-end bait casting reel um they, they, i can't even think of one right now <laughs> yeah. there's just so many that come to my brain um but really like the high-end reels that you can use, I like with the flip switch. So there's a reel, the Kyoga, I believe it's called. Mm. Um, and that reel's got a nice price tag. I think it's somewhere in the $300 range. And it's a small bait casting reel. You yeah. can't really put a lot, a lot of line on it. Um, but it's got the flip switch. So you can push your thumb down onto this bar, and the line will move out, and then the bar will snap right back up. So you right. don't have to necessarily take your hands and off of the rod, yeah, right? So you can keep your bait right in the strike zone, drop out two feet and not move anything and just be ready to set the hook instantly. Right. That That's that's my go-to setup. The, the Kyoga probably on a, on like I said, a custom acid-wrapped rod. Like Jigging World makes the Shogun. I have a Shogun, yeah, which is my ocean one, but they make lighter ones, which I would use like one of those blanks for fluke fishing right. but just honestly on the cheap end I use a tsunami I don't even know what it is like a five star maybe I think it, yeah the trophy series the trophy I have series. one too they like, lights like out a cheap rod with an accurate PT which also has that flip switch I, I'm a huge flip switch guy if it, it doesn't have the flip switch at this point I don't want it for fluke yeah, fishing yeah. I, I want that switch but that accuracy PT, and some people even say it's the John Skinner setup combo, whatever it is. But <laughs> that setup, you can get in real rod line for 
I don't even know how much at this point. Sub two hundred, I think. I know. I think it's probably, it's probably two hundred and fifty bucks. Yeah, I would say three hundred. Oh, yeah, that's true. He put yeah, you said two fifty to three hundred, yeah. somewhere in, in that range. But you've got a quality setup, in my opinion. You could go out. The one that I have is rated for I forget honestly maybe like one to four ounces, and I use that in the bay and also in the ocean on the right day. But I've caught my biggest fluke on that rod. Yeah. The yeah. cheapest setup that I have, actually. Besides for my ice fishing rod, but yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different story. Yeah, like, yeah. That, that normal rod, I've caught seven pound fluke, no problem, all day. Yeah. yeah. And it's like when you catch something that's worked, it's all reliable and that's it. Who cares what the price yeah. tag is on it? If it works, yeah, it works. 100%. Yeah. I give Chris a lot of credit actually because you know, we all like high-end shit. Who doesn't? But he still, even with Saltigas and Stellas and all that, he doesn't look at some of these cheaper setups that he's had for five to ten years. If, if they still work, they do the job. Yeah, he, he doesn't kick them to the curve. He uses all of his setups very yeah. accurately and that's some big and fishing. But what, what about what you? About like, what's Yeah, your... I mean, I feel like the, the acid wrap thing is a given, right? It's just, it's nice, especially when you're fishing on the bottom bouncing a bucktail you just, I just feel like you have a little more control the rod loads nicely your feet of your line is just a little more controlled in right. my opinion um, and not my opinion that's just pretty no, standard, standard for fluke yeah. fishing um, but just to for the sake of discussion to throw another rod type and, and reel um, I like the uh, the accurate Valiant it's hey, a really, hey. really really nice reel and, and that I, I like that a lot. That's probably the next reel that I, I would probably buy. A um, little more versatile, not just like a fluke reel. You could cut, use that bottom fishing, bottom fishing in Florida or bottom fishing up here offshore if you want to use it for even cod or ling or right. stuff like that. That's That'll bang pretty, pretty well. Um, but on the spinning side of things, and I feel like people neglect spinning gear for fishing for fluke. It's people just have the idea of it's got to be conventional or a bait i've even seen a lot of the old school drifters yeah Yeah. um but i actually like like the shimano style reels and the reason for that is with that like hagani body we were talking about it even before we hopped on the episode today but something like daiwa that has a lot more metal on it it's heavier and when you're sitting there and bouncing it all day it's just kind of a pain in the ass to hold in your hand yeah um, so I like Shimano and there's, there's a variety of reels. The, the Vanford, I own one, to be honest, I prefer the Stratic over the Vanford in the, in the cheaper class. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to spend a couple more bucks, a great reel is the Twin Power. Um, and not the SW, just the black and gold one. Mm-hmm. Um, technically it is an inshore reel. Uh, some guys will say that it is a freshwater reel because it's not sealed the same way that the right, SW is. It has a lower is. IPX, but still. Yeah, but that reel is super light. The drag on it is phenomenal. Um, you guys have seen mine. I use I have a 3K, but even like the 3 and the 4K, uh, I think they make that model up into to seat 5,000 XG, mm-hmm. which is a 4,000 body with a 5,000 spool. So if you're fishing deeper water, you know, it's something like that is going to be light, but you still have power in the drag. And you'll have the line capacity. So if you wanted to fish 15, 20 pound line, you still have a good amount of line on there. Um, and then for something like that, I, I personally like like the jigging world. I have the uh, the Ghost Hunter jigging rod. And the lighter ones, they make like the 100, 150 gram, depending on what you're doing. 
Um, they're, they're light. They make a 200 gram, I, I believe, as well, uh, in their lighter jigging class. And, and I, I've owned mine for about two seasons now. I absolutely love the thing. So yeah. just no, a they're good rod. Out. They're, not, they're not huge. They're not big. Super light in your hands. Something you could bounce a bucktail all day and, and not get tired. Get lights out. But what about you, Vin? Um, if uh, money wasn't an option, I'm really going to push the envelope here. Uh, for rod, I picked it up once at a bait shop, and it's been in my mind ever since. It's just I, I have a bunch of good fluke setups that I like and I'm comfortable with, so I'm not necessarily itching to get it, but I'm a big fan of the, the Hawkeye rods. They have one called the Little the little Angler, I believe it's called, right? Or the Hawk rod? The Hawk uh, Little Toy. Little Toy. Little the angler's tiny. toy or the no, not, not the toy. angler's toy. Angler's toy. Sorry, that's, I called it the that? little toy. I mixed them together. Angler's tony, that inshore angler's toy, <laughs> whatever it's called. Those that rod, the angler's toy. Um, yeah. when I picked it up that day in the shop, it was bulletproof, super flexible. Um, and it's actually like well a mahi rod, I think. Yeah, they make um the little tony is the tuna one. The angler's toy, they call it. The inshore, like you yeah, know, it's like an inshore, but inshore. like you could use. I'm I'm saying it, it it'll hold some weight as well. Yeah, well, they also make the bullfighter. Which the bullfighter is the big dog. The big dog, yeah. and then they make one called, I think it's called the hot one, and that's like the tuna, yeah. like you know, super pelagic, like heavy jigging. Uh, you know, the lightest comes in like three ounce, like light. But Angler's toy is like a little bit of everything. I really like it, and you know, the lightest version of it, it's light. It's uh, really good, really well built. It's a, I would take the spinning. I want to go different here. Um, I'm a big fan of the acid wrap, but just to you know, throw throw this into the loop. Real wise, because money isn't an option again. I'm a big fan of Shimano as well, but one reel that I feel like not a lot of people use. But I've got you know, I had the opportunity to uh, take a look at it. You know, take it apart a little bit at the bait shop that we worked at. I was actually gonna try to sell it to somebody who came in. They backed out last minute because the price tag is absurd. But the Daiwa Exist yeah. is light as you can get. The thing floats when you fucking throw it in the air. Yeah. It's so light. Um, it's just that combo would probably weigh less than a pound. Yeah. Uh, by the time you know you put the bucktail and all that, then you're pushing over. Price tag, I don't even want to say it because you're looking well over a rack. So, yeah, it's not something that's probably realistic. Like Chris said, you can get away with sub $300 combo. Um, if I went more realistic, I would go with maybe a Travala if I want to stay in the spinning. You uh, and your Travala. I love Travalas. You always love Travala. that Travala. Uh, they're a little bit heavier, but, you know, they're good because you can get multi-use back bay and ocean front. And then reel-wise, I love the Stratic. I'm also a big fan of the Sustain. Twin Power, anything in those three. You don't need the Stella, it's overkill. You honestly don't even need the Twin Power, but if money's out of the equation, go for it. Um, and then anything less than a Stratic, I think you're just, you're you're not, you're putting, you're underestimating the power of Flukes because we, I've had some big ones that I've hooked up to where it's like, fuck, like, you know, I played my drag yeah, wrong or like like whatever. The, and I mean, and you don't want to be under-equipped either. They make know? some decent, like, lower-class reels. I know Shimano, like, before... Let's say like the last couple of years, they made like the Sedona and the Sahara yeah. and the Nexave, and those are all like and you sub can get away hundred dollar reels, and they're they're good, but they're not they're not gonna have any longevity. Like yeah. if you're putting what that's what I'm put saying. Like gear, if I'm using it day in day, you're out. getting beat up. Now the one of the new reels, the the Nashi, the Nasky, however you say, yeah. it, 
That's like at the hundred dollar price point, and, and it's built well. I wouldn't say saltwater is like its best friend, but that's pretty good reel. If someone wanted like a cheaper option of like a light yeah. Shimano reel, yeah, no, hundred percent. But, anyways, guys, we're gonna wrap it up for today. Uh, it's been a wonderful episode. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk fishing with you, to fish with you, and so on and so forth. You brought a lot, and you opened up a lot. And uh, actually, I don't think we said the word striped bass fully up until this moment for this episode. So that's a nice twist. Scratching my arm like a Uh, (laughs) crack. But yeah, so we're going to wrap this episode up. This was episode four of the Fishing Hour. Thank you guys for sitting in with us, chatting with us, bullshitting with us. Yeah, and guys, like we like we end every episode. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at the Fishing Hour underscore Pod. just want to chop it up with whoever wants to talk about fishing. If you have any topics for us you want us to cover, feel free to reach out. Um, Chris, you got anything to close out? Keep fishing. <laughs> Keep fishing, boys. Keep, fishing. Keep them tight. Yep, stay tight, everyone.